Amen. Uh, let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you grateful, first and foremost, because of your son. Grateful for community, Lord. I pray that as we look at your graciousness, we look at an example of who your son is, that we would be inspired not just to say you are gracious, but to be in your grace, to be in you, to be found in you, Father. I pray that as a people, we are um, forever aware of the amazing gift we have in Jesus. Thank you that it's, um, that it's Sunday, that we get to worship you. Lord, again, like Tim mentioned, I pray that it's just a safe game for all the athletes participating, all the fans in their local towns. I pray that it's about as holy as a night it could be given this Super Bowl night, Father. Again, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember being online on Twitter in 2020. And one of the things that a person I was following said, they, they, they tweeted out, I'm never going back. And so what precipitated that tweet was they were a part of being bombarded by everyone online. They said something that went against the, the cultural norms of their in-group. And it wasn't even anything like um, explicitly bad. It was just a different view. And the people that normally say we hate these sort of views, they all piled on them. And so one of, one of the um, individuals who got piled on was just getting, I mean, it went, it, it ranged. Any of you who've ever seen an internet pile on, it could be really bad. It ranged from humorous to cruel to evil, where you're just like, gosh. Like, you almost feel like there's no way a human could think of something like that. On the humor side and on the evil side. But our culture is one of communal judgment. That's really our safe place. We love judging as a community. Social media is like the chief culprit in, in the mob. Mob mentality. You want to see something um, evil get promoted or something evil happen, it takes the collective. The collective is really powerful. School pressure. Many of you, when you were in school, you felt the pressure. And it, again, to stand out in high school, middle school even more. Middle school is like the worst season of any human's life in America. To stand out in that regard, there's so much pressure. Family, religion, there's something about the mob or the, the collective that can make it very challenging. And I know for a lot of us, we could think, isn't the majority always right? You don't think that consciously, but we feel that way. We feel like, you know, lately people have been like, are you a part of the Apple cult? Because, you know, I do got Apple products. And then you look around, you be like, you know what, honestly, this thing works. It's good. It's effective. But then I look and I'm like, but is it really bad to be on the other team? I don't even know what the other team would be. Samsung. Samsung. There you go. <laughs> or whatever they do over there. Because <laughs> we think majority. It's almost terrifying to stand alone in this culture. It's terrifying to stand alone in any particular moment. But even more terrifying to stand alone is self-reflection. To say, am I just going with the mob mentality? Am I going with what makes everyone upset? And it's easy to hide in the mob and say, we. One of the rare moments in scripture that Jesus is actually going to speak to the individuals. A lot of times when Jesus speaks, he speaks to the collective community. What we're going to look at in John 8, he's going to speak to the individual. So let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8, beginning in, we'll start in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 53. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to, te- sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. With the woman standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now, leave your life of sin. This is a very popular story. We're familiar with it. We all understand its story. But what's the dilemma that Jesus faced here with? Well, if he condemns her, they're like, okay, he's a true Messiah. But now he's going to be in trouble with Rome. Because the Jewish people do not have the right to execute people. So if he condemned her, even if the mob did it, they still would have blamed Jesus. He would have been the ringleader of the mob. Now, Jesus says, she's not condemned, and you guys got to back off. You're like, cool, we'll back off, but he's a false messiah. How could he not listen to the Torah? How could he not submit to what the Torah said? So he's in a, in a, in a tough predicament here. And you love Jesus' discipline, right? Like, if, someone, if a mob of people come up to me and question me, to slow down and be like, let me ride on the floor really quickly. That would just disarm everybody. You're like, hey, yeah, with Steve, we had a tough question. Like, imagine if one of our presidents, Biden right now, they start, nah, he's having a rough time, so maybe he wouldn't do it. But someone else would sit down and be like, hey, let me write something really quickly. You'd be like, wow, that was so cool. So Jesus says, okay, here's what we'll do. Let anyone, singular, who's without sin cast the first stone. He... In that, he took the mob and said, it's no longer a mob. I want an individual. Because when you're going to stone someone, it's easy to do it as a community. Yeah. Wow. It's ten times harder to do it as an individual. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, the Torah put communal punishment in there on purpose in Leviticus. But we all recognize if we were going to be at a stoning situation, who wants to be the one that throws the first one? And who wants to be the one that throws the last one? We all kind of want to throw the stone in there and be like, I don't know if I killed him. I don't think I killed him. I Just, wow. nu- just a little nugget on the head. We don't want to be the person who kills anyone. Or bring that ultimate judgment on an individual. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you're going to do this, I want, your, I want you to be fully aware of what you're about to do. That you're about to condemn an individual. And so, so here's the thing that I think we all know. Individuals will never do what a mob will do. No individual will do what a mob will do. There's something about being in the mob, being carried away in the mob, that is just like... Ridiculous. When the Heat won the NBA championship in 2006, the first time with Shaq and D-Wade, which was amazing. You guys know me. I'm chill. I'm not like, 
I'm not like out there. Even when I was in the world, I wasn't like out there, out there. Man, we were in the streets, man. I took my shirt and I just tossed that thing in the air. And there were the people, we were just all going crazy. And so I'm running down um, 8th Street and I'm just, ah! And we're running, we're partying. I don't even like, I don't even like drinking people's drinks. Like, I hate drinking tap water. But in that moment, they passed something around. I took a sip and I'm like, ugh. And I, you know, I'm like, what? The mob. I was in the mob. I was, I was caught up in the moment. And you know when it all winds down, where's my shirt? I got no shirt. I come home, no shirt. And I like that shirt. Paid money for that shirt. But I was in the moment. When it came to judging sin, that's how we could be sometimes. When, we're, when we have our mom mentality, you're like, well, everyone in here is condemning this particular thing. And Jesus says very, very plainly and very easily, you, individually, you make a decision if you're going to judge this person. But make sure when you do it, you're without sin. And then instantly, the elder people walk away. You know, one thing that's unique about... Um, the elder people walking away, is during that time in particular, I don't know how true it is of our present moment, but during that time in particular, elder people were known for their contemplative thinking. That they would slow down and be like, you know, I take a self-assessment of who I am and where my life is. Of course I'm going to walk away and not stone this person. And so you go from elder to the youngest and everyone just walks away. Jesus challenge the individuals and then when the individuals were able to look they're like I cannot be in a position to judge someone because I'm not without sin I don't sit in that position you know one of the hardest things in our present moment that I think if Jesus tried that in 2024 it'd be very difficult is that group had enough self-awareness to put the stones down I don't know if he did that in 2024. Some people will be like, oh, actually, I, I'm actually perfect, man. I haven't. What sin? I got, I'm tossing this thing. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the permission. They, they're just not slowing down enough to be like, you know, honestly, I don't have that position to make such a condemnatory statement on your life. Because we live in what, um, what sociologists call post-truth. It's not so much about truth that's based on evidence. It's truth based on what we feel. Like, I feel good, I feel righteous, and that's what counts. So if Jesus says, let him without sin toss the first stone, I feel like I don't sin, so I'm good. Forget evidence, forget anything contrary. It's what you personally feel. And we see a lot of our politicians do that. And I've been in Bible studies with people who are eagerly seeking God, but there's a part of them that don't want everything that the Bible has to offer, and I've seen them before my eyes completely flip a narrative. Mm-hmm. You're like, yo, I thought you didn't know this. I thought you didn't know this. I thought you didn't. No, no, I totally knew it. You know what? Actually, I knew it and I forgot it. You're like, I explicitly asked you beforehand. No, 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 no. I knew it. I knew it. And I know what's happening in that moment. Jonathan Haidt talks about this. Jonathan Haidt is a sociologist as well. He says, when we get in a position that we are going to have to remake, as the, the Bible call, rebirth new life, when we get to that point, we have to do everything emotionally to protect ourselves from what would eventually come from the harsh realization of where I am. 
We do that in all things. So, like, if someone's cheating on you romantically, you'd be like, you remember the song, I don't want to know if you're cheating, please don't let me know. You guys, any of you who know that song, you know, like, that's what we do. So you're like, whoa, I woke up this morning feeling good about my relationship with God, feeling good about whatever. Please don't tell me that the Bible, which is supposed to be the standard, is telling me I'm not good. In fact, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to like jujitsu this whole thing mentally and walk away from here feeling good about what I felt about going in here. Yeah, right, right. That's just who we are. Yeah. It takes a lot of faith and a lot of courage to step back and say, but what does the Bible say mm-hmm. if it's going to be the standard? Yeah. <coughs> I've seen yeah. it happen. Yeah. Jesus says to this woman, she isn't condemned by the crowd nor by him. The mob didn't condemn her because the mob in that particular moment by God's, by that woman's mercy had enough self-reflection and realized I can't toss this stone. I think sometimes we have a hard time knowing Jesus and being near to Jesus because we condemn ourselves. You know the unreliable trinity of me, myself, and I? Like sometimes that condemns us. Yeah, yeah. We're like, oh, but I'm so awful. I'm so evil. I'm so this. You know, I'll never get it right. I'm just going to be the sorriest Christian in all of creation. Be the sorriest Christian in all of creation in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. that's a good place to be sorry mm-hmm. and anyone else in there going to probably feel like I think I'm sorrier than you cause, but when God's working on you everyone starts to get really humble really quickly mm-hmm. but sometimes I've heard a number of people be like well I could never really do this because fill in the blank the, the unreliable trinity of me myself and I yeah, yeah. just tears you down but now different from our current self help culture is let Jesus justify us there's a lot of pressure in our culture to justify ourselves, to prove our existence, to find you, to win for yourself. There's a whole bunch of cool self-help titles. But none of that really hits the way Christ saying, you are not condemned. When he heard that from her, I bet that was the happiest day of her life. She walked away. She's like, I'm not condemned. But the question is, what does Jesus want? Jesus wants her in a loving relationship with him. Why are we here? Jesus wants to live in community with one another, with, with, with each other. Yeah. He wants us to live in community with each other, with him especially. Yeah. I believe wholeheartedly, I bank my life on it. The thing that will pr- produce the joy everlasting is holy communion with God. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking for like, how can I be happy all the time? Be in faithful commun- communion with God and his people. But what does faith look like and how can I get it? It takes a deep trust and allegiance to Jesus and submitting him to Lord. You know, in our fellowship, we, we make it our point to check ourselves against the scriptures. That's very sobering. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. We make it our point. When we, when we encourage one another, we use the term discipline. When we disciple one another, it's to check ourselves against the standard of what Jesus expects of us. Yeah. Jesus is the standard of our discipleship and our faithfulness to Jesus. Not our emotions, not our pray. I hope none of you guys is, I'm your standard. I hope you're, Jesus is who you want to redirect your attention to. Because he's your standard. And so, I have seen in a number of situations, well-meaning people who taught us incredible things, but what, what we're going to be counted on on the last day isn't what well-meaning people taught. It's going to be on what Jesus said. Yes. But you're like, but grandma told me what Jesus said is what you're going to be judged on. Yeah. But I felt what Jesus said is what you're going to be judged on. Yeah. 
The scriptures make that very clear, guys. You know, Apollos is an example of humility that heard. Oh, and he was taught more adequately and he responded biblically. And so there's a normative response that the Bible lays out. And, 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 I, and I don't want to get like too step oriented, but it can look something like here. You go to the next slide. <clears throat> Hear the word. You can't be a Christian if you never heard the gospel preach, right? And I know some of us got some incredible, beautiful babies. Brian is like the beautiful, most beautiful thing in all of creation. <laughs> Brian hasn't heard the gospel. Brian's hearing something, but he ain't hearing the gospel. You have to hear the gospel message. But he is beautiful. But beauty ain't going to get that, brother, to hear the gospel. Then you have to believe. In the Bible, the Greek word is pistis, and it is more than our cultural belief, like a set of mental assent, like, oh, these are some, some things I like, some arbitrary, nebulous ideas that I believe. No, it's an action. Like everyone in here who drove, you believe your car was going to work. You believe that if you started your engine, you hit the drive, you did all that, you would be in the first century a believer. But if you said, I believe in a car and blah, 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 but you never touch a car, you never drive the car, they wouldn't call you someone with pistis. And then you have to repent, metanoia, change the way you think. Now, a lot of times we grow up thinking repent means feel bad, feel sorrowful. What the Bible teaches is repentance, metanoia, change the way you think about things and align your thinking with Jesus. See the world the way Jesus would want you to see it. That's challenging because the world doesn't see the way, the world doesn't allow, encourage us to see it the way Jesus would, but that's repentance. And then the person would then be baptized into Christ. There's a phrase that Paul uses all the time in the Bible, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And he matches it in Romans 6, in Christ. You get baptized into Christ, and then you are the body of Christ. And then you live in faithful community with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and body of believers. Now, it doesn't necessarily, I don't, the, the Bible doesn't give an exact number of body of believers you need, but I, I, I'm willing to wager if we stood before God, it'd be more than your kids and your spouse. You'll go one step further before that, outside of that group. So you got to add one more person to your community to call yourself a church. And this is the normative biblical response to the gospel. Now, you may be thinking, that's not what I heard. I'm telling you, this is what's in the Bible. Is the Bible going to be the standard of what you, what, what you do? Maybe the Bible isn't going to be the standard of what you do. But if it's not, then Jesus isn't your standard either. Because Jesus speaks in the scriptures. Jesus looked to these scriptures and taught his followers these things. You know, this woman was saved physically, but she needed to be saved spiritually. And I know what's, what you could be thinking to yourself right now. Maybe this is your first time you heard this and you're like, what do I do about this? How do I change this right now? Maybe you disagree with this. I would challenge you if you disagree with this, make sure you go into the scriptures and see for yourself. Make sure you wrestle with what you see in the Bible. But I want to tell you, God cares deeply about you. God never looks at anything we've done in our journey, null and void. But I can't get in the place of God and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to willfully decide that this isn't important for you or this isn't what you need. We have to yield our hearts to what Jesus says because he's Lord. And this is why in our fellowship we take it a huge, we labor the point that we study the Bible with people. We want you to 
have the clearest revelation of who Jesus is through the scriptures. And we want that process to integrate your emotions, your mind and your expectations. So you've probably come to our fellowship a number of times. Like, How come Steve never calls anyone up to respond to the gospel this very second? Because this is a lifelong decision. We don't want to baptize anyone who's kind of like, I don't know if I really want this. Then you're not ready right now. And that's OK. The grace of God is going to be with you, Lord willing. I got to add the part, Lord willing. But this is a huge decision we make as a community, and we want you to be completely and utterly aware of what you're getting into. If you've come into our fellowship and you're thinking about getting married, we slow you down. Because we believe in the faithfulness of marriage. We slow you down. You might be like, man, she's the hottest thing out. Man, she was like, man, she, she is hot. She is out. But... Understand, this is a commitment. There'll be a day where her hotness is going to be in competition with her sin. And they're both pretty hot. Like, we slow people down. (laughs) We slow people. I I, I say this to say, even when it comes to following Jesus, this isn't something you just like, you know, you're chilling. You're like, I think I want to do this. This is something you need to be steadfast about. John 8 says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus doesn't want to condemn anyone. He wants people to be saved. He wants them to respond to the messages, the message of his scriptures. So this is what I leave you guys. Let's pray for communion. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray we never forget how we respond to the gospel. I pray that as we take the cup, which represents your blood and We take the bread which represents your body broken for us that we remember that you faithfully handed down your will to the apostles. And they wrote it down in scripture. And we could trust what we read in scripture, Father, that you are guiding us and helping us be a people who respond to your message. Again, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life and life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.